Coming February 1st from Anomalist. Beyond Boggy Creek, the epic new book from Lyle Blackburn, author of the acclaimed title, The Beast of Boggy Creek. Explore the history, legends, and modern sightings of mysterious man-like creatures throughout the southern United States. Join Blackburn as he goes beyond Boggy Creek in search of the Southern Sasquatch. I like to go into the most remote places possible because that's where, if these things exist, that is where, you know, the family unit is going to be. It seems to me that would be a good chance of, of, you know, encountering it or something like that. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Lyle Blackburn and Seth Breedlove a little bit later about uh, small-town monsters and the Beast of Boggy Creek and Mothman and all that fun stuff. We're doing a little cryptozoology, which seems to be few and far between around here, which is a shame. Uh, we'd like to be doing a little more of it. And we've got a uh, friend of the show, Cyrus, joining us for the intro. So that's going to be fun. But first, as always, Graham, the prototypical white guy, Dunlop. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? I'm privileged. <laughs> yeah, you are the you are the definition of white privilege. Yeah, let's not go there. No, no it's going good. Yeah, it's going going really good. Yeah. How about with you, Cyrus? Welcome to the Grand Mark Show. I'm good. Thanks for having me. This is the first time we've had Cyrus on. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, oh. I think so. Right yes. on. Yeah, it's good. To, <laughs> it's good to finally chat with you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I've been a fan for years. Trying not to fanboy out. Well, we've had a lot of communications over uh, texting and writing and all that stuff. So yeah, exactly. That's right. And our other collaboration that'll be coming soon. Cyrus was my uh, tour guide when I was in Seattle. He directed me to the troll and all that shit. So that was fun. Yeah, the troll's a good spot, man. Seattle was awesome, man. I really liked it there. Really, yeah, it's, it's probably the coolest nice. city I've ever been in. Yeah, I haven't been in a whole cool. lot of cities, but I liked it there. And I could see myself living in Oregon. Oregon really does seem to have everything. You got lakes, you got rivers, you got fishing, you got coast, you got forests, you got everything. And no taxes. Or and the like beaches are better than uh, Washington State beaches. <clears throat> yeah, central uh, western Oregon. I drove through there on the way back from California last fall. And it was I fell in love with it on the way home. Be growing fucking pot plants like... 12 feet tall. Yeah, Christmas trees. There you go. Christmas I don't know, man. If I was going to move, I'd just I gotta go to the heat, man. Somewhere hot. Nah, man. Somewhere where you can see the sunrise yeah, and the set every day. The, get times. You, as and... soon as you get there, you're there with like fucking 100 million other No, people. you're not. The whole, the whole like equator isn't populated. The, the, There's lots no, of room. Most of the equator is third world. <clears throat> no, but I'm just saying. Actually, I would almost say the, the equator in its entirety there's lots of room down there it doesn't have to be in california it could be somewhere else south california is nowhere near the equator what no, no i'm just talking about I'm, I'm talking about <laughs> just sun sets and sunrises at a decent time california is halfway to the equator heat and light we have cold and dark here well yeah 
Oregon's got to be better. Actually, I shoveled the snow. I'm trying the cold thermogenesis thing. I shoved my snow in the minus 20 in my shorts. We're getting there. When I leave for work in the morning, like the sun, is, like the brightness, it's just starting to not be dark out of the far reaches of the horizon. I really am trying to embrace the elements. Another couple of weeks and it'll be sunny in the morning. And then the time will change and it'll be fucking dark again for three weeks. And I walk everywhere in the cold too, but... Cold's over now, bro. Just about, but Cyrus, you don't experience this minus 20 degree temperature, do you? Not here in Seattle. I did in high school. Uh, I went to high school in a tiny little town called Troy, Montana. It's about a half hour from Bonner's Ferry. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, my dad moved us. Pardon? I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Is that where you took the picture of that chicken? That's where I took the picture of the chicken. Yeah. I had a feeling you said Idaho. I'm like, dude, is he in Bonner's? Uh, Yeah. High school is moved out there my sophomore year. And I remember driving. It was after the first major snowfall. We're driving through the, the little town. And the guy's walking down the street, and I, I see his arm is straight up in the air. And I'm like, what is he doing? And I look, and he's walking his dog, but his dog is on top of the snow berm, like 12 feet in the air. <laughs> and I looked at my dad, and I just shook my head. I'm like, you moved us. Where We came from Seattle to here. Why? But, yeah, it was. I'm glad we did, dude. It's, it's gorgeous out there. They filmed that movie, The River Runs Through It. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There when I was in high school, and I lived on that river. Hmm, nice. Yeah. There was cool lots of fishing and wildlife and shit. Yeah. I mean, it's I pretty much I, like Canada. Yeah, I, it was, what, 14 miles from Idaho, 50 miles from the Canadian border. Yeah. Oh, cool. I used to work at a ranch up there next to the border north of Bonners. You know, uh, call right on the border. We, I used to bail hay and the guy rolls up on a pickup truck once. He's like, get in the back. I'm like, where are we going? He goes, we got to go kill a pig. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and apparently there was this wild pig that would chase the kids at the bus stop every morning. So we went out all day looking for this pig. We never found it, but yeah, dude, it's a whole nother world over there. Yeah. Yeah. Did so it just then keep you chasing moved back pig, to Seattle when you grew up? You said fuck it and went back to Seattle. Well, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, when I was towards my junior year, the silver mine shut down, and half the town moved. So it got real dead, and there was no work out there. There really wasn't at that time. This is like '95. So I had um, I met a uh, friend's older brother who was visiting, and he lived in Portland. And, um, he was leaving to go home and I'm like, dude, take me with you. He's like, no problem. Jump in the car. And I just took off and I started my, uh, well, I've been on my own since I was 15. Wow. So yeah. Uh, so I started my, uh, working career right after high school. Sweet. I'm um, down there and just been floating around and now I'm a UPS driver up here. Sweet. Seattle's cool city. Yeah. It's it is. way that, cooler than Bonners Ferry. I'm sure Bonner's <laughs> Ferry is cool for all sorts of reasons, but Seattle seems cooler. Bonner's Ferry is cooler when the power goes out. The food trucks start stop showing up. Yeah, my best friend, and he's kind of like an older brother to me, but he's like my best friend, Chad. He lives in Bonner's. He got uh, an inher- a nice little inheritance and moved out there and built a big-ass house and bought some property and stuff, living off-grid. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. He bought a generator. He has satellite uh, panel, uh, solar panels, but he bought a generator and he called me up right after he bought it. He goes, yeah, dude, the salesman said the last time he sold one of these, it was to a zoo. I'm like, what? <laughs> I go out there and it's about as big as my truck. What does it run on? Like a de- diesel? diesel? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting, man. What's going to happen here. I was reading, reading up on, um, looking at a Lockheed skunk works and some of the stuff that they're working on and, you know, by their website and their programs they'd have, you'd swear they have clean energy already. It's like they, you know, they're, they're pretty much working with clean energy, high, high tech, clean and free energy. And it's like, why don't we all have this capability? It's crazy. And you know, isn't Fukushima fucked again? Well, that's the guy you're supposed to get on the show. We're yeah, supposed know, to have he's a, not responding. Oh boy. Maybe he's offed. I hope he, not. Yeah, by the sounds of his uh, communications, that was going to be happening. Really? Well, do you remember what he was saying to you? He called me and all those fuckers or something. <laughs> I remember that. And then he said sorry because he was drunk. Anyway, I'm sure I'll go back. It's Facebook. That's the only form of communication I have with him is Facebook. So sometimes it's tough. Anyway, what do you want to hear about? What do you got? I got a, I got some feedback from some listeners. Um, Lucid dreams and uh, what else? A little mini synchronicity. So mm. kind, of, kind of more of a precog, actually. Let's go with what the fuck? Is it real or a dream? What does that even mean? It's kind of a combination, actually. Of course it is. Yeah. Uh, This is uh, from John. We love getting emails from listeners. So this, uh, he says, lucid dreams. What what made me start having lucid dreams? Howdy, guys. Just started listening to y'all a few weeks ago, and I'm totally smitten. I found out... Found out about y'all through the Santa Merte episode. That's interesting. It is cool to hear uh, who, where people find out about us and how they found out about us. Uh, so I keep hearing that Graham is trying to have lucid dreams. Here's what worked for me. I started lucid dreaming in my early 20s, and I'm now 32, with the help of a psychedelic plant called Salvia Divinorum. Divinorum, sorry. The Shepherdess. You know what's funny? Is, uh, that was Chestnut, wasn't it? Andrew Chestnut? Yeah. yeah. He chimed in on the education debate I was having today. Wow, really? Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. A bunch of mini synchros happening in the was talking today. about Amway or whatever or whatever. Or fucking, what does Amway have to do with education? And, or something in the Bible schools, remember? And Chestnut just tried it. He's like, I don't think they have those in Canada, bro. He probably <laughs> doesn't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> so anyways he says one night i took a large puff of salvia tripped hard for about 15 minutes and went straight to bed i became lucid that night and was overcome by an insane feeling of bliss and joyful crying there were beings there who put magical talisman coins slash objects into my stomach it was a straight up spiritual experience it was the most amazing experience of my life up until that point and this was not the first time I smoked salvia, by the way. But after that, I continued smoking occasionally in the same manner 
and continued having lucid dreams and not necessarily always the same night I smoked it. I've had dozens of lucid dreams since where I fly, have sex, talk to death gods, and it normally starts with that overwhelming feeling of ecstasy and realization. Holy shit, I'm dreaming and I know it. Not to mention the experience that reality not to oh, I gotta try and find this email here. Not to mention the experiences while on Salvia, it's a whole different story. I realized while lucid dreaming that lucid dreaming is somehow realer than waking reality. I realized we are actually kind of dreaming and waking life compared to the reality that is lucid dreaming. I've also had two false awakenings as well, which were insane. The last lucid dream I had was actually up in Quebec. I hadn't smoked salvia in two years and still became lucid that night. I feel that salvia opened the doors for me and I haven't had a lucid dream though in a few years, nor have I smoked salvia in many years. I'm about to dive back into it. I bought a cache of strong 50 times salvia before it became illegal in my state of Louisiana because I knew that the time would come when I would benefit from it again. I started up again with that dream journal as well. Also, weed equals not remembering dreams. Weed and dreams do not mix. I've heard you guys talk about this before. Most of my lucid dreams happened while I was taking long breaks from the sweet ganja. Not sure if salvia is legal in Canada, but I had to tell you my story. <clears throat> I don't even know what lucid dreaming was before I had that first lucid dream. I had to read all about it afterwards and realized what salvia had done for me, for I seriously doubt I would ever have these experiences without it. I started writing a dream journal as well, and this seemed to be to help, but no doubt with the catalyst was salvia. Good luck, brother. I sincerely hope you get there. Lucid, no matter what path you choose. Seek and you shall find. Love you all, show. Once I get my tax return in, I'm supporting you guys with some largent. If you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email and I'll keep you posted on my future salvia slash lucid dreaming reports. Nice. Salvia reports. I never tried that. Yeah, yeah I'm surprised. I, I heard there's a lot of people on YouTube that do it. That do it on YouTube? Yeah, they do it on YouTube. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, but, I'd rather just eat some mushrooms. Well, how yeah, but some of those people that smoke the salvia, don't they? Uh, I heard that they're just some kids that act like complete fools. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Let's Do you remember Duncan Trussell? He was talking about uh, sweet uh, Mother Gaia. She's trying to speak to us through mushrooms and uh, those plant medicines. And so we can learn how to communicate with the God in the universe and learn who we truly are in ourselves, except for the only people she's talking to are 15 year olds in their basements playing Xbox. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking funny because I was actually another synchro because I was talking to him to, well, not talking, but messaging with him today. Yeah. yeah that's oh, don't... a lot of many little, many little things. We're supposed to be here right now doing this. Like two hours ago. Yeah. yeah that's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I remember I, when I was trying to quit smoking, I was using the Nicoderm patch. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't read the back of the box where it tells you not to sleep with it on. Hmm. And I, I had a dream that I was living in, I was in Australia with like 20 people, guys and girls. And it was like hanging out with 20 of your best friends. Like there wasn't one person there that wasn't my best friend. And we were just traveling around Australia and New Zealand, like doing adventure stuff and having fun. And, and, uh, 
it felt like it was like a lifetime, right? It's like I grew up with these people. I knew them. I knew everything about them. They knew everything about me. And when I woke up, um, it took me about five minutes while just laying in bed to figure out that because I was laying there going, where am I? And then it slowly started coming to me that this is my bedroom. And then it, then I realized that that whole thing was just a dream. But in the dream, I had lived with these people for years and I was in a depression for about two or three days coming to grips with the reality that not only was I never going to see these people, but they might not exist. How old were you? Um, oh, geez. This was like eight years ago. Jesus. So how long did you, did you, cause we were just talking about this tonight too, with our guest about dreaming, right? Because I was arguing that it's not like, you know, when I heard back in the eighties, like, Oh yeah, you dream this long dream and it's really only three minutes. But was there a time, a major time difference for you? Oh, it was years. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, and that was I from the that, patch? That shit happens, man. That's the thing. Like, I've had it before where I've fucking, like, drifted off, and I'm like, holy fuck, it must be noon. And then yeah. you look over the clock, and it's like... That's different, though, because he's living in, an, in a dream for that long, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's fucking crazy. <laughs> But I've heard I've heard uh, people who have done DMT like Ari Shafir. Didn't he? Uh, Joe talks about it sometimes. That um, I might have like, I might have heard pardon? about that before. Yeah, Ari saying that he had lived a li- a whole another lifetime in fifteen minutes. Uh, but that's I wasn't scary even scary to think about. Yeah, and he says it, like a lifetime of complete bliss. Hmm. That doesn't sound so bad. No, that does it right. But when you get, you get back, you get pulled back into this uh, this version of reality or whatever it is. This version, and, uh, this version of bliss. Yeah, yeah. But <clears throat> like for me, it was less. It's hard enough to find a good person that you can connect with. You know what I mean? That you just jive with totally. But in order, like, you find twenty of them, and they're all different. And just it was just complete, just everyone having a blast, everyone helping each other out, everyone taking care of each other. And it's just it was it was the craziest thing. And the depression part, it was serious, dude. I I didn't I thought maybe I'm like, am I going crazy? Because I couldn't believe how bummed out I was. I'm like, it was just a dream, dude. (laughs) Yeah, but I know what you mean. I felt when I've had crazy dreams, I felt a little discombobulated the next day for a little bit like sometimes it takes a couple hours to shake it off but it's never been like days like that but i mean i can imagine like uh thinking that you're in a whole other world with people that you're connecting with because there is nothing like connecting with somebody in your dream when you just know because you have this deep knowing of trust Mm -hmm. you just know that they're they love you and you love them and it's just this real like easy a real fucking love fest (laughs) <laughs> well it can be because that's part of the, the whole thing like when you connect with a chick in your dream and you you know that you know that you're like connecting this cut this is going down <laughs> <laughs> well for me it was it was these people was were real platonic love i think yeah he didn't live yeah, with a yeah, bunch yeah. of chicks that were just banging them all day no i know i'm not talking i'm just talking about my experience or other experiences <laughs> I wouldn't have minded that part, but yeah, uh, I never, yeah, I don't think it ever went there, but it was, you know, like when I was in high school, I have tons of girls that were friends of mine. Right. And, uh, it's kind of weird. You know, you could talk to them about things that you can't talk about with your guy friends. Cause they think you're, what are you? 
what? <laughs> Especially, Mo- you know, Montana guys. They're not the most sensitive uh, group of dudes. <laughs> and I move out, you know, I moved there from Seattle and uh, I moved. I don't want to go shoot gophers with you today, dude. <laughs> so what I don't get is how your mind can make up that much information, like that many best friends, all different, all unique, all their own story, all your own feelings. Like, that's why I feel like you're in a different dimension of some sorts. Like you transverse, you know, the normal physical confines of your mind. Or is it that our brain is, our consciousness is actually capable to create its own reality? That's, maybe it's doing it now. Yeah. That's what I'm, yeah, maybe, right? Like you guys, I can't remember, Do you remember the name their names. Do you remember any of their names? I did then like the next, like the next couple of days, but, uh, they weren't like regular names like Bill, Billy or Chad or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I can't remember anymore. It's like the farther I got away from it, the less I could remember. The only dream I kind of remember from front to back is another dream where it was like, Imagine a, a scenery of like this, uh, you're in the mountains of Switzerland or something like that with the gorgeous lakes. And we were at like a neighbor, uh, like a community picnic, but everyone was wearing like futuristic clothing and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it was weird, dude. It was weird. But we were all like kids running around with a bunch of balloons and stuff. And it was like a community thing. We were all talking and I knew everyone there. <clears throat> And then the ground started shaking, right? And I look, uh, I turn around, and there's a wave cresting over the top of the mountains, right? And hitting the backside of the mountains and water. And I look to my wife, and I'm like, I got to go get my dad. And she goes, I know. So I ran, I ran home, which was like 10 miles away. But, I mean, I was capable of running like 40 miles an hour. And I had this, you, you ever play Fallout? No, Negative. this is before I ever played that game. You get this pit boy. It's like a giant arm bracelet, right? With a computer on it. And as I'm running, I'm pushing little buttons and dialing something in. And it's like changing. It's, it's turning off um, DNA or flipping switches with something. It's kind of like CRISPR, right? So that sounds like so a Crap e- Brothers creature suit. Yeah, I just started booking it. I got home. I grabbed a bag, started throwing all these little gadgets in them. You know, in the dream, I knew what the gadgets did. But in reality, I can't tell you what they are. I put it in this backpack and I grabbed it. And there's like no cars in this world for some reason. So I'm running through the mountains and I'm heading towards the ocean in this city that my dad was living in. And it was a long dream. It was like a movie that I want to see someday. But anyways, as I got to the town, I climbed this flagpole, this uh this um, this giant pole that was sitting on top of a church or something, and I was hanging off of it, trying to see what was going on, because I knew that this earthquake and this water had come from this area, and it's kind of like a Puget Sound looking area, and there is these three giant stone uh, knights standing in the middle of the uh, of the water, up to the, but it only went up to their knees. And they were speaking some kind of language and it was shaking the world and stuff. And I was sitting there trying to figure out what they they were saying. And that's what I woke up. Holy shit. Yeah. So it might still come true. Yeah. Well, you're no, on the I, wrong side of the mountains. Yeah. It, it called me up. I, I mean, uh, kind of woke up and 
I called my dad and uh, he didn't answer, didn't answer, and he didn't answer. And then later that afternoon, my sister called me and told me that he had a mini stroke. Wow. Oh. Yeah. He had to have a, a, a splint or something put in his neck. That's yeah. crazy. Because you had to go get your dad, too. Yeah, that was what was crazy about that dream. Yeah. And the, uh, uh, this one's really quick. But the, the other dream I had was I have three boys and we were standing in line for a Ferris wheel ride. And uh, my oldest and I were going to get in one of the buckets for the Ferris wheel. My middle son, Alex, was right behind me in line. And then my wife and the, uh, my youngest, Jonathan, were going to ride in a bucket and you know, we got five people and it only fits two. So somebody has to ride by themselves and Evan wanted to ride with me. So I said, yes. And so as we we're going cresting over the top of the Ferris wheel and start going back down, somehow Alex's bucket gets stuck. Right. So it doesn't pivot with the Ferris wheel and it just dumps him out. <laughs> and he, I hear him yell and I turn around and I go to grab him and I missed and I didn't do anything, but close my eyes and pray real hard. And then I looked down and he had fallen all the way down and he landed in the bottom bucket and he was down there sitting on Santa Claus had caught him. He was sitting on Santa Claus's lap and they were waving at me. That's a weird one. But uh, I talked to a friend about that and uh, he said, uh, you know, a lot of people, he's one of those dream guys. He likes to kind of help you try to. And he says that um, a lot of people um, like if Santa Claus might resemble like a Christ-like like figure. And he's like, uh, I'd keep my eye out on your middle son and try not to ignore him. So I, I think it was a good dream because he was pretty young when this happened. And I catch myself, you know, he kind of gets he does get lost in between being the youngest kid, the, the middle boy. I mean, hmm. you know, he's not the yeah. oldest. He's not the youngest. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I think that dream helped me to be able to. So I'm I'm pretty pretty dil- diligent on uh, being there for him and keeping an eye on him, and you know, so he doesn't feel left out. That's good, and that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's, those speaking, are some crazy dreams. Speaking of dreams, you want to hear one from a listener that's pretty interesting? I might as well play the. Gym. I already did. It's, it, this is this is kind of a synchro, but it's a but it's sort of a precog dream, really. I want a good skull for my synchronicity Graham reads it out, then Daryl might give it to me Hey, don't you please read it low So this is from, this is from Mike. He says, I've uh, been... Been a bit behind on listening to the show, but finally caught up today. Recently started a new job, which involves more car travel versus flying. So much more podcast time moving forward. It was great to hear my synchronicity read in what I believe was like episode 195 or 196. Darren rated it at an 8.3, which I will definitely take. That's the highest that I've heard so far. I think there was a nine before. Yeah, there's been some higher ones. But on a side note, it's good to hear Darren back to his old self. Oh, yeah, there's... So apparently, I'll just leave that out for a sec. So apparently, synchronicities happen to run in the family. Not sure why I mentioned it in passing, but my mom, after I explained the concept to her, she reminded me of the experience something similar about 10 years ago. We were on vacation in Montauk. That's a bit scary on its own. Montauk's uh, 
I think it was the home of a CIA program or something, covert program or something. Was it? Yeah, anyways. So you think this is a handler? No, I don't we think so. We only have so many handlers, bro. <laughs> so he says they're on vacation in Montauk with another family. It's a beach town on Long Island, but we occasionally like to go in the middle of winter. The place is empty and quiet and still relaxing. Anyways, the, the first morning we were there, my mom comes up to me and says that someone from the other family was sick and throwing up all, all last night. At first I nodded and went along, but quickly I got to wondering how she knew that. I asked her as much. Did they call in the middle of the night or something? After thinking about it further, she realizes it was just a dream. Not two seconds later, we get a knock on our door. And it's someone from the other family who says their daughter was sick all last night and needs to go home today. <laughs> Apparently, synchronicities, or in this case, I guess, almost more precog, runs in the family. That fits so, well with Cyrus's story. Yeah, that's interesting. Eh? I won't rate that. No, you don't have to rate it. It's more of a precog. He says, by the way, episodes 208 and 209 were awesome. Great chats with great guests. I've been in the process of attempting to maybe or perhaps write a fictional book. A lot of wishy-washy words added on purpose. And these were both very inspiring. Did you ever get a chance to post pictures of the sun from episode 208 on YouTube? You never <laughs> both, You won't respond to my emails. Both reminded me, though, you should really try to get Walter Cruttenden on the show. He wrote a compelling book on the binary... Binary star theory. So, of course, when your guests for 208 started talking about a brown dwarf leaching energy from our sun, it tied in well. Then your guest from 209 mentioned he recently presented all his work at CPAC, which is the show Walter runs. Oh. Sink grows with galore. We'll have to look into that. Well, I wanted to get into a bunch of that Vault 7 shit and all that. What is that? already running long. No, we can do it. We can go a little bit longer. Uh, I'm uh, well. I don't know. Let's let Cyrus run us down on it. Uh, Vault Seven. Word up. Yeah. Uh, was it? I noticed about <clears throat> the the end of last week uh, on Twitter. WikiLeaks had posted a question uh, with a picture of that vault, that seed bank that they have in uh, Norway. And it's supposed to have like all the seeds of all the plants that every, anyone's ever collected, all the scientists. Mm -hmm. And supposedly it's supposed to be in case some kind of uh, catastrophic disaster happens again, we'll have the plants that uh, to rebuild or in case a plant or something goes extinct, we'll be able to reproduce the plant from from the seeds that they're collecting uh i've also heard rumors that it's also a dna bank so in a way this would be another noah's ark hmm. and um so i've known about that a lot of people have known about the seed bank anyway it's definitely the seed bank i watched a youtube video the other day just fucking filled with fucking shells and shells and shells full of seeds yeah and so that was this picture. Oh yeah, yeah. What yeah. is Vault Seven? It looks like something out of Star Wars, right? Yeah. So, and then I'm like, well, everyone knows what that is, but I was like, what are they trying to say? Because you know, there's people saying that there's going to be an asteroid or a meteor coming in about the 17th of February. Uh, so I was like, that's uh, this is nuts. So I retweeted it, saying, what are they? What's 
um, WikiLeaks trying to say by bringing up um, Vault 7. And then they had another question. Uh, where is Vault 7, right? And everyone's trying to figure out what the heck he's, what, what the heck they're trying to seven, uh, whatever they're trying to say about Vault 7. Then there was another, who is Vault 7? I'm like, all right, this has nothing to do about. Yeah, with where Vault where is Vault Seven? Was all the Nazi gold? Uh huh. With that, uh, th- they were testing that jet engine. That was the next day, which was when is Vault Seven? Yeah. So it. Oh yeah, that's right. And then it clicks, and I'm reading through the thing, and there's, you know, it's Twitter, so there's most of the comment section is pretty, you know, you Low just ignore. Brow. Yeah, you just ignore it. But um, anonymous Scandinavia starts posting some binary code with some programming language in it. Insert zero 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 one 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 zero zero something like that, right? Into this, and you'll know what we're talking about. So they're throwing out these clues, and he's like, "Here's another clue. Here's another clue. Here's another clue." And then someone on Twitter goes, "I'm just uh, all I have to say is zero 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 one 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 zero zero whatever it is." That's nine eleven in binary, and anonymous uh, Scandinavia is like bingo, basically. That's it. So, um, long story short, uh, it looks like WikiLeaks is looking for dumping information that was found on a cold server. So they delete. So during nine after nine eleven, they try to hide all the. Uh, information and anything, you know, so, you know, try to cover your tracks kind of thing. Well, apparently there's a server that was turned off and it's been in cold storage. Therefore, the information was never deleted. They have access to it. They're threatening to leak it out. And unless the FBI continues on with the Clinton investigation. And that's coming directly from WikiLeaks. Yeah, and they're saying that they're going to release it on February twenty second, which is pretty badass. That's my that's going to be my fortieth birthday. Nice. <laughs> but so who's so did WikiLeaks actually come out and say that they're doing, or is that just what the narrative is that's getting put together by like uh, side channels? That's that's what that's what it's looking like to me. I don't think WikiLeaks has come out and said we're going to do this. But they're if just you look keeping at- it mysterious. Yeah, but if you look at all the pieces, dude. Yeah, well, when I look at the pictures, it definitely screams nine eleven. And WikiLeaks sent those pictures. Yeah, with the question. Well, why? Why? Where does the seed vault come into it? Why? Why isn't Vault Seven just that Tower well, Seven? Like maybe there's a the vault. Exactly. Maybe Tower there's a seven. vault in Tower Seven. There was a vault under Tower Seven. Suppose. Remember all the that gold. Was, that's where the gold went missing. Oh, that's what that story is. Oh, I see. So there's the vault under Tower Seven. It's Building mm-hmm. Seven. They're calling it Vault Seven. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the gold pictures of the underground gold. So they're going to probably tell us where the gold went. You've got a jet engine, and someone I read somewhere that's not that, a jet engine. Well, it's a f- laser. It's, it's a, a freaking laser. No, it's a prototype jet engine. Yeah, it's a pro- they're testing an engine. What that that stream is the uh, the propulsion exhaust. Yeah, that looks like just happens to look like a laser. Yeah, and then but then oh, I heard that the jet engine's like the something. Oops, is is that engine is called the something one one nine? I heard, which is nine yeah. eleven backwards. Yeah. Um, 
So then it was, who is Vault 7? And it's a picture of Edward Snowden, Julian Assange, and Bradley Matting. Whistleblower. The three frogs in the Bible. And then why is Vault 7? It's <laughs> the picture of the guy melting the steel. Yeah, that welding. The yeah. guy says welding, the, that last picture. Yeah. And He's, that one's, why is Vault 7? Wow. And then that's it so far, but I imagine tomorrow there'll be something else. Yeah, it's just, it's getting real, guys. Um, seems like it. It does seem to seem like it. But do you, do you so think the Lions the case might is have been like Trump by, by fucking years? purging it then? Is that what's happening? Is it a government? Is it all a government thing, or is it something different? I think it's. I think they're just waiting to this time that now they can open up on stuff. They can start releasing more stuff as well because Trump might actually deal with it. Yeah, and instead of just fucking hiding it under the rug. Yeah, I mean that's my wishful thinking, but it seems like that's what's happening. I mean, there's all these pedophile arrests apparently too, and stuff's happening in the background. I think. I think there is a, a in, intelligence agency civil war going on, kind of. Well, here's the thing, Uh, you know, I really feel, (laughs) I hate to say this because it, 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 a couple of years ago, you wouldn't have got me to be in for Trump at all. Uh, And when he first got on, like most people, I thought this was a scam. He was only here for either publicity or to help hand off uh, the win to Hillary. That's what I was convinced of that until he started Mm -hmm. saying stuff about her. I'm like, well, gee whiz, you don't say stuff like that about your friends. <laughs> you know, like this is kind of crazy. And then uh, I think the biggest turning point for me and a lot of people, because I saw him even do a poll on this, was Scott Adams. He did a poll. Does uh, People are blaming me for Trump winning. What do you think? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I started following him ever since he got brought up on No Agenda. And so I've become a huge Scott Adams fan. And so I, I, I read, you know, his his blogs and I've been studying the art of persuasion and um, NLP now. Nice. Not hardcore, but like really looking into it. So I, when I hear Trump talk, you know, and like you guys, I, I don't hear what everyone else hears. And it's not as much about what he's saying, it's how he says it and what reaction he's going to get out of it. Yeah. And I have a feeling that that guy knows a lot of stuff that we that we that we might know and consider conspiracy theory or whatever, but he's definitely got some information that most people shouldn't. Yeah. I think he's in on this, you know. And with uh uh, Alex Jones being on JRE not that long ago uh, last week was he it almost sounded like this this coup this like a global coup to help fight against globalists and the new world order was formed and Trump was basically kind of recruited but became part of it, it anyway uh, but for you know about that time that um, Obama was talking all that smack about him at that one party do you ever see that video where uh, Bill Burr's talking about uh, where Obama's up there and he's just uh, talking smack about Trump at some dinner party and Trump's just sitting there bobbing his head up and down with a smile on his face, just taking the licks? 
And Bill Burr's like, I think that's the minute right there. That's the moment he decided I'm going to take your job. You're going to hand, <laughs> you're going to, you're going to hand me the keys of the White House on your last day. Lo and behold. <laughs> Who would have thought, man? Yeah. Interesting. But I think he knows about 9-11 because he, because he obviously knew about those 28 pages that well, were. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, is he's bringing in people and influences from outside of politics, which is, you know, completely new. Now we better not get into this too yeah. much. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. We should wrap it up here. We didn't get into the uh, America.ca slash support. Oh yeah, right. Of course, we need you guys here. We could wrap it up just begging, like this. Got to do our begging for support. Yeah, all the links are in the show notes. Yeah, for all that stuff. Check out the show notes, slash support Sign up for monthly. We just had, uh, yeah, a couple new subscribers uh, in the last few weeks, which is great. We got a new, uh, yeah, we had our first thirty-three subscriber. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. I'd like it doubles yeah, our budget. Like doubles yeah. our budget. Yeah, <laughs> instantly doubles our monthly budget. Oh, just kidding, you guys uh, that do support. Well, the it's not a budget. It's a cover of our cover expenses. Of our expenses. Yeah. Isn't that the budget? You budget your expenses. Well, we have expenses. We're not really budgeting them. Anyway, uh, check that out. There's a bunch of other stuff in the show notes you can do to help us out. Uh, review the show, spam grams, uh, send any stories or synchros, and uh, most of all, tell your friends about the show. Spread the word. Sign up for the newsletter, america.ca slash news. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Cyrus. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's been awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoy the chat with Lyle and Seth. So tonight in Grey America, we're going to be talking about monsters and probably the Sasquatch and a bunch of stuff. We've got it seems like we're due. We are due. We are due. We've wanted to do this for a while. We've only had like one real Sasquatch episode, so this is this will be fun. We've got Lyle Blackburn here and Seth Breedlove. Seth's got a he's a filmmaker and he's got a little uh, series called The Small Town Monsters. And Lyle was uh, featured in one of those. He was like the main guy in there. And Lyle's been writing about this stuff for a while. He's a researcher and author. He's written like The Beast of Boggy Creek and The Lizard Man, and he's been on TV about it. So most of our listeners have probably heard heard about you guys, but it's uh, great to talk to you in person. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, you bet. 
we had a meme here in, in Grand America a little while ago. And we even had some art. Uh, one of our listeners uh, did some art and stuff about that. And it was whether whether or not you should shoot Sasquatch if you get the chance. <laughs> and I was the I was the one diving in front of him taking a bullet because I didn't want him to be <laughs> him to be hurt. And Darren, uh, those two shirts are still the most popular in the online <laughs> store. Yeah. It's either shoot Sasquatch, save Sasquatch. <laughs> so Darren, Darren would shoot him. I don't know. Maybe we should start with that question. I don't know. That's a good place to if start. We, that's a terrifying, absolutely terrifying place to start <laughs> a, a show about big. Do you have any idea the debates that rage on on internet message boards and across like social media about killing Bigfoot? It's it's a scary place to go. Is it really um, that? Is it really that bad? Yeah. It's 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 yeah. Because we because we are passionate. For us, we find that to be politics. If you, if you, as soon as you get like one step into politics, people are like, fuck you, I'm never listening again. <laughs> yeah, no, Big, Bigfoot is like, Bigfoot's like the Donald Trump of cryptozoology. It's, it's scary. <laughs> you don't go there. You don't sh- yeah, this is, uh, this is a political debate, no doubt. And people uh, take sides and feverishly debate. So yeah, it's a... Uh, dangerous territory well the weird thing is we came across it i gotta say kind of organically like we were just talking about it and darren was you know talking like he would i was talking about it, it was really natural you wasn't mad at me yeah well because i'm i'm on the one side i do have my beliefs in that i don't think we should hurt him so but we can go there later or if 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 at all we don't have to at all we should uh avoid it I, for now. I, I mean i don't avoid it if uh, you know, in my opinion, the only way science will recognize it would be with a body. But, um, you know, that doesn't mean I necessarily want to go out and plug one myself. Um, <laughs> so that's my personal take on it. Well, I don't think you hunt him, but what if you just were out and he walks into your sight? He walks through I've, Seth's sights. There he is. He looks right into you. His forehead is right in the crosshairs. So, like, I've literally never looked down a sights other than in Call of Duty and uh, <laughs> Battlefield 1. So, I've never hunted or anything, and I'm pretty sure I, I don't want to start with a, with a Bigfoot. <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of where I stand Call of Duty as far as, like, it. if I was... I think it it, it, it kind of boils down to that moment, though. That's the thing. It's like, you know, you have your ideas of what Bigfoot is, and you may have all this pre-thought, but from what I you know, judge from interviewing all these witnesses is that at that moment, that's when you, you know, your whole world changes, you, you know, you, you're not only seeing it, but then whether you have the, you know, feeling that it's manlike or too manlike, you know, that's usually what happens, you know, right. you the most hunter. I know some hardcore hunters that, you know, have, uh, you know, taking shots and you know it's it's not something taken lightly so i think it's one of those things that could be debated but really it boils down to that moment and unless you come right up on one then probably you wouldn't know till that minute actually lila i was going to ask you about that because i you know you're out there sort of traipsing through the swamp looking for these things every now and again, I, I think, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know too much about your guys' work, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a thing and sometimes I go out and, and do the C SETI thing where we're sort of meditating on contact and UFOs and stuff like that. But there's a, there's a feeling in that, in those groups that like, if you have the subconscious fear that could hold you back and everybody thinks that they don't have the fear, but 
it's like you said in the moment you don't know what's going to happen so do you do you are you do you feel like you're ready to encounter something and and like deep down or or um are you scared somewhat or, or have you even encountered anything yet i've never had an encounter but i'm not i'm not fearful of anything i, I grew up hunting uh, my father uh you know was a was a bow hunter and my all my uncles and so we spent all the time in the woods and i've you know i did a lot of hunting when i was younger once i uh, you know i just didn't have time as i got later in teens and 20s but you know so i've been there and i'm i mean i'm really somewhat of a bulk and i have no <laughs> i just don't have any fears or whatever i just go in into these places you know i mean i'm careful i've come up on I've, I've nearly walked up on huge 10 or 11 foot gators and there's a lot of things out there that to me uh you know i'm watching out for a little bit more than sasquatch and if i <laughs> if i had the opportunity to see one you know i think i would relish that chance and i, I don't think i would be scared but again you know that's all another thing if I'm out there, and a lot of times I'm out there in the woods, in the dark, in a swamp by myself. And, <laughs> you know, as, as tough as I may think I am, I really couldn't say in, until that moment. But I, I'm usually not fearful, and man, I'd, I'd love to see one if I could. Man, I got shit scared just in my when I went. Remember when I got camping the other yeah, yeah, couple of years ago, my by yeah. myself, and I was in my tent in the middle of the night, and I heard something walking around. And I was just freaking out. I think you're in your tent as soon as it got dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you had cell service, though. Yeah, right? yeah, it's not for the lighthearted. Somewhat. I mean, that's that's one thing that you know, bigfooting. A lot of it's for whatever reasons is done in the dark and stealthy. And to me, it's like, if you want to encounter a, a reclusive, rarely seen creature, you need to go to remote places. You know, I don't go to the state park and camp, you know, that, that just doesn't do it. Although you, know, you do have sightings of road crossings and things, but to me, I like to go into a, the most remote places possible because that's where, if these things exist, that is where, know the family unit is going to be it seems to me that would be a good chance of of you know encountering it or something like that so mm -hmm. you almost have to go into their their territory which is yeah spooky you know in some ways i mean there's been a couple of times i got spooked or whatever you know going down a bayou and and you know there's about and even with hogs you know i've been surrounded by you know like 20 hogs and <laughs> you never know what's gonna what's gonna happen but um yeah, I think it's something that, that you know, like Seth said, ultimately, to prove the thing, I mean, science at this point is going to require a body. They're not going to have had a too much nonsense, and, and I think that that's the facts. But whether, you know, me personally, I just would like to see one. I don't go out with the intention of shooting one or, or anything like that or even prove it to the world. I just... I saw one myself, I'd be cool. So I think each person has their own sort of agenda in, in this and, and uh, you know, theories as to what it is. I, I just would like it on record that I have no fear either. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I was, I was saying I was going to fight a mountain lion, but then I watched a video of mountain lion attacks and I got pretty scared. And I withdrew <laughs> no, my... my 
my previous statement. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of everything. Like when we went to film Boggy Creek with Lyle, I mean, Lyle could tell you like me and my guys, we're a bunch of like Yankee boys, you know, like we filmed the um, Boggy was our third movie and we shot two other movies, but, um, you know, we'd never been down in the, the swamps down there in, in Southern Arkansas. And I mean, <laughs> we were, we were terrified at like every stop we're we're terrified. Something's going to get us. Like it's, it's either going to be like feral pit bulls or fire ants or something. I mean, but it's like Lyle said, the last thing on your mind when you're out in a situation like that is like, well, what if a Bigfoot kills me? <laughs> like, I mean, I would relish that. Yeah, it is really, truly. I mean, you, you're looking out, you know, there's cotton mouths slithering all around and they're black, just like the mud. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, your mind is almost on those things really. And, you know, it, it's, you know, but those guys did a great job. I mean, we tried to really take them to the places where you could get the money shots, you know, and they were all, they were all game to, to go wherever and, and get those, those great landscape shots. So, I, I mean, I, I think they're honorary uh, Southern Swamp Boys now. <laughs> well, that's like if you put if you put a camera in my hand, I I tend to just focus on the job. So we were we were out in Mercer Bayou this one night, going down. It was just myself and the guy that was you know uh, driving the boat, and then um, one of my other guys were in this boat going down the river, and I'm leaning out over the front of this boat with a gimbal. And an A7S, you know, trying to film the, trying to film the river kind of coming at me. And the guy's like, "You see those bubbles in front of you?" I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "That's that's an alligator." I'm like, "Oh, cool." I'm like five feet away from it. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. You get the camera. He gets the camera, and he's like, "Even Knievel out there, it's like no fear." And that's, I mean, that that makes uh, legit films. You know, what's going on here? Yeah. So what do you guys think after talking to so many people about these uh, sightings and encounters? Do you think eventually there will be some sort of evidence or do you, do you, do you, um, do you believe that it's more than just uh, some sort of traditional explanation? Well, for me, I mean, you know, I've been doing this a pretty long time and it's almost, you know, it almost seems like after adding it all up, just any minute, just any minute, you know, Somebody's going to hit one with a car, or going to yeah. turn up with one, or one's going to, somebody's going to get a, a great high resolution photo. It just seems that way, but you know, it, it just it's just right out of reach. It just keeps going on and on. But it, at the end of the day, you know, I can't say for sure exactly what the creature is, um, but you know, I, I've spoken to enough people, and I've got enough people that you know best of the best, the top of the crop, that I can guarantee you they saw something that's unexplainable. There mm-hmm. is something to it. There is something out there, yeah. um, you know, a physical primate of some sort, a relic, uh, you know, uh, ape, no matter what it is, that there's something to it. It's not complete, you know, hogwash, so to speak. And, and so I don't know why it... it it's taken this long to find something other than they, they must, if they exist, they certainly have to be highly intelligent. They have to be motivated to a reclusive and, you know, that sort of thing. But 
I don't know. It seems like any minute now something would, would come up. It's It's been seeming like that, too, though, since, like, the the 70s right like that was you always hear about how people were are convinced any minute it's going to happen and that's like the frustrating thing for me as someone who's i'm relatively new to this like lyle's been into this a lot longer than i have and i came in to it you know wide-eyed and and excited and, and all this kind of stuff and there there are aspects of being into bigfoot that will will drive you crazy and make you second guess everyone's story and make you super skeptical. But then there's stories like the ones that are in, you know, like boggy Creek monster. And there's people that Lyle introduced me to who genuinely made me question whether or not I was being too skeptical of, of the Bigfoot thing, you know, cause I'm, I don't advertise myself as a skeptic, but I'm definitely skeptical of a lot of the claims. And the some of the people we interviewed in Boggy Creek Monster are like are like some of the it's like Lyle said like cream of the crop like the the, the coolest stories the most down to earth kind of people people who you don't think are gonna I, I I can't imagine a lot of the people we spoke to if if any of them making a story up especially in in Boggy Creek there's a guy named Terry Sutton that we interviewed um, and Lyle always talks about his his interview as being one of his favorites and he's just like this really down to earth successful i mean like he's he's extremely talented he's he's a really you know just a good guy and he had kind of held on to the story most of his life and he told it on camera in the movie and it when you're there listening to him tell it it's like it's one of those stories that'll make you wonder you know if you're super skeptical it'll make you wonder about the possibility that there really is something out there and so that's kind of like I believe there's something to this. What that is, I don't know. Um, so that's my weird, like, roundabout rabbit trail answer. Yeah, that's what I think, too, actually. I think that <clears throat> I like to give people credit. It's so easy for the skeptical community to say, oh, they must be seeing um, whatever, a, a, a bear, a, an ape, or some shadows or whatever it is. But I, I like to give people more credit than that. I think so many people have seen something that's uh, the, the amount of anecdotal evidence got to mean something, something's going on out there. And I don't have any really idea either, or, or want to say what it is. Could be something to do with consciousness or who knows, but, uh, or just a real, a real Sasquatch, but it'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, next few years to see what happens. What, what, what really draws my attention to the whole thing is the, the historical reports, like the reports going back to the 1800s of like, you know, giant apes and things like that, that people see in the woods. Um, that is kind of like one of the things that got me into all this, those like old newspaper reports. And, you know, the, the descriptions um, from the 1800s and early 1900s that were in newspapers back then sound very similar to what people are still describing today. So I don't know how you just write that off as a bunch of people misidentifying bear or getting hoaxed in the woods. Do you think that there's a possibility that maybe there has been bodies and they've been covered up? Uh, I don't, you know, I don't put a lot of credence in conspiracies and things. I mean, it stuff like that. Uh, people have a hard time keeping secrets, and, and I'm not sure the reason why they would necessarily cover it up, other than you know, and logging company uh you know 
trying to, you know, keep it a secret. So as far as like grand conspiracies, I doubt it, but it is possible on a small scale that a couple of individuals, you know, possibly found one and, and not told anybody. Or on the other hand, you know, something has been seen or found and somebody dismissed it as a bear. I mean, you know, that's the thing. Oh, how come, you know, hunters never find a dead one. They may have seen, you know, seen a carcass and said, oh man, we're a dead bear and walked right by it, you know? So it's possible that a body has, you know, been close to uh, being revealed, but but uh, was overlooked, so. Yeah. Well, what did you mean, Darren? Were you talking more like Smithsonian type cover up, like the giant type yeah. conspiracy, or yeah, yeah? I don't, I don't subscribe to that stuff much. I, I can get behind, like, like Lyle said. I've, I've talked about this before with friends. Like, I can, I could buy into like a small scale conspiracy. You know, like some small town sheriff like hides a body because he doesn't want to drive away <laughs> tourism or something. But like. Uh, that's actually a really cool idea for a Netflix show that I'm going to have to write down. Um, but like the, the, the grand kind of Blackhawk helicopters, uh, circling dead bodies, uh, you know, at, like Mount St. Helens and, and running off to the Smithsonian with bodies to get buried forever <laughs> in the, in the basement. I don't, I don't really buy into it. Although I love the idea. Yeah. What do you think, Dan? I, I would probably agree. Yeah. I have trouble I mean, even with the giants, you know. I don't. I'm not saying giants aren't out there, but I have trouble with the Smithsonian covering it up. You know, I just don't see the point. Yeah, I, I've actually interviewed uh, individuals who have claimed that they had a body, and shortly thereafter, you know, the Men in Black type <laughs> folks show up and confiscate everything—the photos, the computers, and all that—and the body, of course. Um, so yeah, I mean it. It's not unlike other uh, aspects of paranormal, you know, UFOs and things, where you've got these MIBs and cover-ups, and it seems either government or some other uh, mysterious agency has shown up, and that certainly pops up in the Bigfoot world. But you know, in any of those cases, I've put very little credibility in that, based on either the person or the story and and all that. So. There are a few stories like that, but I, I, in my experience, even talking to somebody who's telling me this in my face, I, I don't see it. Yeah. So maybe we should dig in a little bit about about the Boggy Creek um, film. So, and I and I, had, I did have a question. So the monster from Boggy Creek, like like it has the uh, the feeling of it being sort of. Uh, pretty nasty is it is it supposed to is it the same as a sasquatch do you think and then do you guys want to just talk about that f film specifically a little bit and mm -hmm. sort of give me a rundown of it yeah lyle's lyle's more the expert on that stuff <laughs> um yes well yeah i mean essentially i wrote the book on it so to speak and have that was sort of a case that came to my attention when I was a little kid when I saw the legend of Boggy Creek and I live in Texas, but I'm about three hours away from Falk, Arkansas, where all of this took place. And as an adult and I started writing, I decided that would be a good topic and nobody had ever written a book on the whole thing. So I wow. set out and spent, spent years researching up in Falk and got to know uh, a lot of folks up there and, and uh, that resulted in my Beast of Boggy Creek book, 
which kind of, I guess, like a better term, put me on the map of, of Boggy Creek. And I still, that's sort of my main thing I'm known for. But uh, the, the nutshell of the, of the thing is, is the, in 1971, uh, reports of a hairy, man-like, seven-foot-tall creature um, surfaced in the area and appeared in the newspaper at the time. And that uh, corresponded with, you know, subsequent sightings. And then that brought up uh, the stories that a lot of the old timers back in the swampy areas had seen a creature fitting this description dating back at least 20 years uh, or or further at the time. And uh, those uh, descriptions, you know, they, they, they essentially describe a, Southern Sasquatch-like creature. I mean, at the time, and you know, when a lot of this was coming up in the 50s and 60s, they, they didn't know the term Bigfoot. Right. And then even when right. 1971, when it was first in the paper, they gave it the name the Fountain Monster, Fountain being the small town there, um, because Bigfoot was just not something, on, you know, that was big yet. And those folks down there didn't correlate with that. But if you look back at it now, you can, you know, it fits right in with Sasquatch sightings all, all throughout the South and everywhere else. Um, so I feel like, sure, it's a, a Sasquatch-like creature. I mean, it could be somewhat uh, adapted to its environment. I mean, if you're talking Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest, you've got a creature who lives in a completely different environment, um, a mountainous region. And down here, you've got a hot, humid, swampy, um, pine forest area in the south, so that could account for some of the reasons why the creature has, on occasion, been aggressive. And of course, the Legend of Boggy Creek movie really played that part of it up, and it kind of gave the creature the reputation as it's just on a rampage. No. But that that's not true. I mean, you know, there's there's many more sightings of just your average glimpse in the woods, the, it ran across the road, that sort of a thing. There's many more of those than there are instances when it was aggressive. But, uh, you know, the sightings, I, I dated the sightings back to at least 1908 during my research um, in uncovering a lot of the stories that had never been told or never been printed in the paper and weren't in the movie. And as well, uh, found out that the sightings have continued. A lot of people thought, oh, the movie was in the 70s and all that was some big thing that went on then. But in in truth, the sightings had continued on and on um, up until now. I mean, I still investigate sightings and they crop up, you know, every, every four or five months, I get a really good one at least. And, and so that's the basic history of it. And, and it, because of the legend of Boggy Creek, because the movie was... I mean, this movie was huge in the 70s. It was, this was like making millions of dollars in the theater. It was kind of a Blair Witch type thing where it was made for very cheap and went on to make millions and, I mean, inspired people to come to the town and, and look for the creature. It was, it was big, big stuff. And it inspired a lot of the uh, folks of a certain age to go into Bigfooting and, you know, a lot of Bigfooters will say, you know, that's, that's what inspired me that or the Patterson Gimlet film. So yeah. it's very famous in that, that regard and famous because of the associations of, of the horror movie, classic horror movie, B movie aspect. And so that's, 
uh, obviously one reason why the book is popular and, and why we would team up to do a documentary because it's uh, still a fascinating subject. Is there, is yeah, there, it's sorry. Go, go ahead, ahead, Seth. Go ahead. It's it's like it's one of those stories that Lyle kind of introduced me to because I had never even seen the original Legend of Boggy Creek movie until I read Lyle's book. And Lyle's book was kind of like I think Lyle's book might have even been the first kind of Bigfoot centric book I ever read. And so it was like the perfect way to get into all this Bigfoot stuff. But what's funny is I didn't watch the Legend of Boggy Creek until like maybe a year before we were going to make Boggy Creek Monster. And so I came at it from a completely different place where someone like Lyle did, where he was very familiar with the Falk Monster, the Boggy Creek Monster, and the history and all that. I I was kind of learning from him uh, going through this. And his his take on it, that that it seems like it was more the movie that kind of trumped up the you know, the, the Bigfoot creature into this, you know, murderous, uh, rampaging psychopath. That's kind of, that's, that's pretty much what we got, you know, when we were making the movie and hearing these stories firsthand too, was that for the most part, what people are seeing is a creature who seems to be kind of curious, uh, wants to be left alone. And if people do get a, a glimpse of it, it's usually because it's, it's, it's either made a mistake and they happen to you know sneak up on it or it it didn't mind being seen in the, in that moment um but for the most part we're not hearing a lot of stories of this thing like running at people and and ripping their arms off and beating them to death with their own fist or something well thank god for that so it's it's more yeah. it is sort of similar to uh to the other sasquatch sightings and that's interesting so is there people that in that area like researchers that are that's claimed to be in communication with it and are doing that habitual thing or whatever, where they're leaving, you know, little trinkets for them and stuff like that. Like, is it that whole, does it have that level of attention as well? Just like on the West coast? Yes, there's, there's a few of those where there's, uh, in fact, I was just in Falk yesterday and, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody about something like that where we've been, um, looking into the credibility of that but you know just like any of the bigfoot cases it ranges from uh you know locals that will tell you it's there have seen it or or locals that dismiss the whole thing and then you've got uh, various researchers that um you know come around and come and look and um and you've got a few cases of the habituations where people claim they see them over and over yeah, yeah. So what? There's a there's a there's a place there called the Monster Mart that's like right down in in Falk, and it's like the it became our headquarters when we were filming the movie. And anytime you were in the Monster Mart, someone would come in and and have a story relating to like a Bigfoot encounter. So it's it's extremely popular down there. I mean, everyone's aware of it. A lot of the locals shy away from it, uh, but a lot of them kind of just accept it as, as part of life. Man, that's crazy. eh? like, even where I lived in on the West coast there in, in Vancouver, we used to go skiing all the time up at Hemlock mountain. And we used to pass this inn called the Sasquatch Inn, And it was near, um, you guys probably know of this place. Now I'm trying to think of the name of it, uh, Harrison Lake. And I mean, it's, it's unreal how the, 
the legends of Sasquatch are just pervade, pervasive all over the place. Like, you know, people, you know, building inns and stores and everything centered around it. Like, it's got to say something. You know, there's so much interest. Yeah. So how did you get interested in it, uh, Seth? Like, how did you sort of, when, I know that you met Lyle there, but what, uh, were you interested before? Um, I got into this back in like maybe 2006 or 2007. I started watching like documentaries and stuff on Bigfoot and it was just kind of like fun side hobby. Um, and it, it was not supposed to become something that was, I'm sitting in a room right now and in any direction I look, there's something with Bigfoot. There's like a giant boggy Creek monster banner next to me. There's like a Bigfoot on a, there's like Bigfoot action figures next to me. So, um, at, at some point I just, I started a podcast myself and, uh, I did a podcast for like three years about Bigfoot and in between, in between doing that, I, uh, I started making the movies and I think what my first sort of like research into this was, was through like historical newspaper archives. And I hike a lot. So like, I don't go out and like knock on trees or, or take a thermal out or do any of that stuff. But like, I was always, anytime I'd go hiking, I was always looking for something, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was asked today, like why these sub, like cryptids are so popular, like why? And, and yeah. it, it seems to be, it's, it seems to be like they're getting more popular. Yeah. And I really, I really think with like the state and this is going to sound, I'm not trying to get like existential or something here, no, but like go for it. with this, with the, <laughs> with the state of the world and the way people are, uh, and how kind of like unsettling and uneasy a lot of people are. I think it's kind of, uh, it's freeing in a way to like, I don't know, To we all think we know everything right now. Everyone thinks they know everything. So it's kind of nice to, to wonder if maybe we don't know something, if, if maybe there is this creature out there that we, we don't know exists. Um, and there's, it's almost like a return to innocence in a way, just to like go out in the woods and look for these things or wonder, even if you're just out hiking around or whatever, and wonder what's behind that tree in front of you. You know, like, I think that's a big part of it. I think you can't, I can't, you can't underplay that, especially with kids. It's, it's always been a big thing with kids, but you know, what happens when the kid grows up and he's still going out and knocking on trees and taking a parabolic mic out? I mean, (laughs) I, I, I think there's something really, um, yeah, it's it's freeing in a way, kind of, kind of uh, for some people, you know, like some people go to basketball games or go golfing or whatever, and other people go out bigfooting. Yeah, um, yeah. that's that's kind of my take on it. I feel like I feel like it's getting more popular, just like uh, ghosts and and that type of thing are, and even UFOs. Like when I'm on Instagram searching for, like, let's say I find you guys on Instagram, and then you, you go down this rabbit hole where there's just so many little organizations and so many people connecting with other people like minded. And I feel like for me, there's been so many personal experiences like almost everybody knows somebody that they trust and that they love that's had an experience with a ghost or a ufo or a sasquatch or something unexplainable and now it's just getting to the point where people are feeling open enough to share it and i i think it's like almost like an organic cultural thing where this would start to bubble over so that everybody just realizes not everybody but you know that the cultural kind of it reaches a tipping point where people realize yes there's lots out there that we don't know yeah. No, I, I, and, and what Lyle and I do, I mean, not speaking for Lyle and, and Lyle definitely does a lot more like actual field research and that kind of stuff and investigating. 
But I think his work anyway, when it comes to like his books and the, the even the shows he's on and stuff, it's more his, historical based than it is like, let's get out in the woods and actually find the monster. And in a way, I mean, the historical stuff is just as valuable because if you can identify patterns and things like that, that that sort of data um, is just as important as, you know, as, as going out and, and recording an, a sound or something. But yeah, like our yeah. movies... Our movies are are meant to document sightings and cases that eventually will fade away if they're not, you know, documented. And they will be forgotten eventually. All all even if even if you just chalk these up as legends, eventually, you know, legends completely change or they they die off. And so when when I make the movies, the movies, you know, the the tagline for Boggy Creek Monster was the truth behind the legend, and that was you know, what we wanted to do was show you the actual stories, the real stories from the mouths of the people who, who were there to experience encounters with the Falk monster or who knew people who encountered the Falk monster. And so when, you know, 20 years, 30 years from now, if people are still talking about the Falk monster and it's, it's gotten to the point where the Falk monster was really this like dragon with who was, you know, blowing fire and, <laughs> and destroying towns, they'll be able to watch our movie and say, okay, well, here's, here's the reality. Yeah. How far is yeah. that from Mina, Arkansas? It's about a hundred miles. Hmm. Too far. So the Mina is uh, in the Washi- uh, southern part of the Washita Mountains there, hmm. where there is a, Another significant uh, pocket of Bigfoot sighting <laughs> in Mina. There is really well, not necessarily Mina. The the Washita Mountains. That's I, I break that as right up there with Falk is the, the best place in the South if you want to see a the, the possibility of seeing a Bigfoot. And that's so down there, and that's swamp country. So those are like the swamp, swamp. I guess skunk ape, swamp apes. Did the Boggy Creek have the smell and all that too? Uh, some of the reports, uh, you know, people report an, an odor. Some, some don't. Most probably most don't. But there are, yeah, just like skunk ape sighting. I mean, you get. I got plenty of reports from Florida where people say they didn't smell a smell. So I don't think it's a consistent thing, and it, it's the same thing in Boggy Creek. Just like people. But, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know, and what Seth was saying about the history. I mean, I, I'm kind of. I think that's my contribution, my main contribution, and my role in in the big footing uh, canon is 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 the historical accounts because I'm I'm probably not I don't flood the internet with here's some recordings of me wood knocking and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I'm more about the big picture of a certain case, and, and I just basically did it in book form. And like he said, he. Legend of Boggy Creek. Before I wrote the book, people didn't realize there, had, in general, that that the sightings had continued, and I sort of opened the door to create almost more of a credibility to everything that's gone on down there by looking at the at what was really going on and just documenting the whole story, rather than everybody trying to glean that from a movie that is certainly based on real reports from real people, but it does play at the sensational aspects of it. So, so unless you go down there and start digging around, you're not sure, you know, where where is the actual truth and where is the actual 
movie part. So that was my role is to do a serious look at all this and to just tell the story. It's fascinating no matter whether you prove it or don't. It's it's a great story. And then, you know, the next step to that was Seth coming along and being the filmmaker that was doing the same thing visually and then just took it to the next level by putting these witnesses there to tell the stories themselves, you know, instead of me retelling in the book, um, then, you know, you can hear it for yourselves. And that, that's really great that we've, you know, that the, the documentation, so to speak for this case has just increasingly become better. And if you were to read my book and you were to watch this movie, I can't imagine most people coming away, anybody coming away and just going, that's all a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. You can't, you just say, holy, you know, uh, something's, there's something going on there, you know? Yeah. Lyle, how many, how many sighting reports personally from that area have you taken? Do you have like an estimate? You've told me this before, but I can't remember what you told me. Uh, I'd say at this point, you know, I probably got a good, at least 50, you know, pretty first person or, or, you know, close relative reports. And then, you know, probably there's probably even, even that small area, probably got probably 150 rough sightings, but I'm probably up to about 50 reports now or so spanning the years. And of course, you know, a lot of these folks, you know, have passed on. So, mm-hmm. you know, some of it, some of it, I can interview them or some of it I've documented other ways. I got several more stories yesterday. Every time I go to Falk, in fact, yesterday I was sitting, I had a, a great time sitting in the home of the gentleman who played the monster in the original legend of Boggy Creek. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in any conversation, eventually, well, you know, I do know these guys, and boom, he he throws some other stuff at me that I'm sitting there writing down, you know, that often correlates with some what somebody else has told me, you know, and I just sort of connect the dots and sort of cross and compare and try to create a as best I can an accurate timeline of sightings, which I have on my falconster.net site actually, in a, you know, in in a chronological order. That's when when I first went down to Falk, like Lyle took me and my dad out for a drive, basically for like two hours. He just took us around to like all these sites, like the the you know the the kind of the point where Boggy Creek begins, and like just all these different landmark sites. And at one point, he said to me, uh, "You stand as good a chance seeing a Bigfoot just driving around on our back road down here as you go as you do like going out in the woods for." for weeks on end and, you know, trying to have an encounter because like there's so many road crossings down there and, and we go into, you know, the road crossings and all that in the movie, but like there's, there's all sorts of encounters from people who are, they have no desire to see one of these things, you know, like they're not, they're not out like trying to have an experience. And, and most of these people, like if you go down there, the, they have no interest in like bumping into a, a Sasquatch while they're, you know, driving home from church or whatever. But it just seems like I've never been in one area or heard so many stories in in one single area. Um, and and it, it's literally instant. As soon as you walk into the Falcon Monster Mart, I, and I've done this probably three or four times now, 
someone within like a minute of you walking in that door, if they know who you are, they know you're like, oh, you're making a movie about Bigfoot. Well, check this out. Like my brother was driving down the road like five minutes from the Monster Mart down here on the road, and he saw one cross this bridge. Like, I, I mean, when every single time I, I walk in that place, someone's telling me an encounter story and they're not like trying to wow you with it. You know, they're not like, they're not like, check me out. You know, it's, it's just like super matter of fact. I mean, it's, it's one of the, the most unique kind of places I've ever been to because of this fact. Like if, if you're a, an extreme skeptic of Bigfoot, I would highly recommend a, a trip to Falk to kind of. I don't know, to kind of make you wonder what's going on. Is there um, kind of the same sort of place in the, in the Pacific Northwest that you would say? Is, is there like a Pacific Northwest foul? Because that's a whole lot closer to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, if you went down to Willow Creek or, uh, you know, Mike Ruggs Bigfoot uh, Museum or probably a Bigfoot bookstore and that, that all those areas down there, yeah, you, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Everybody, uh, it's part of the culture. And, you know, it's it's such a co- topic of conversation. Even if the person themselves hasn't seen anybody, they've had enough conversations that, you know, their uncle, you know, they've talked to their uncle, they've talked to a friend. Everybody, I'm sure, has, you know, some, it's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Well, this is, you know, six degrees of Bigfoot in in those hubs, I mean, everybody's got to have a story. And like Seth says, I mean, literally, and I've been to Falk years, and it's the same thing every time. You're like five seconds, and there's some story, you know, to be documented and, and to be looked into. Now, not all not all stories I've heard do I take stock in. I mean, there there's the ones that get tossed out. But like you said, most of it is just very matter of fact. These are good people. And when you ask them to be on film or do anything, they don't want no part of it. <laughs> they just mm-hmm. like, no, that's just simply what happened. And, and, and there you go. You boys have fun. And, and then they just walk off. <laughs> Little Creek's only seven hours and 45 minutes. There you go. So what about other types of monsters? Like it seems like when when it comes to Bigfoot, things like Boggy Creek that kind of sort of have their own little name for it um, as the legend grows up. But what about stuff like Mothman or any other monsters? Are you guys interested in those? Or do you think there's uh, the same amount of credibility for those type of sort of unique species or for lack of a better word? We're, we're actually making a movie about Mothman right now. Um, I'm, I mean, it's, it's an, it's like the fourth small town monsters movie. It's called The Mossman of Point Pleasant. Oh, sweet. Um, and Lyle's executive producing oh, nice. that that one. So, um, so yeah. I mean, we're I'm super into all cryptids and ufology. Our fifth movie we're making later this year is going to delve into ufology nice. too. So, so like I'm I'm into a lot of different subjects as far as like. This is what I keep getting because I'm still in the process of post post production on actually production. Even we have one more weekend of filming on Mothman, but um, I'm I'm just getting into like post production. Everyone wants to know, well, like, do you believe in Mothman? And you know, when when like it comes to what you're talking about with Mothman, 
there's so many different descriptions of from so many different witnesses in Point Pleasant back in 66 and 67 of like what they saw that I don't I don't even know what Mothman I don't even know where that begins, you know, because like that that term Mothman was created by a newspaper man. You know, the early witnesses were just describing seeing a large creature, a weird creature. Um, and then it became this kind of like, you know, over glamour, glamorized, uh, trumped up thing. And over time, it's become a pop culture. I mean, it's the perfect kind of uh, example of what I was talking about earlier, the legend becoming something completely different. Like, I feel like Mothman's morphed into something completely different from what it started as. And I'm not saying there isn't some honesty in that because like our movie will delve into like the paranormal aspects of it and all that kind of stuff but as far as what if i believe in a mothman um i think that a lot of the witnesses down in point pleasant were seeing something really weird um they they described a six foot tall creature man-like bird creature with with basically eyes in the center of its chest um and a 10 foot wingspan you know so I don't know. I don't know. When it comes to delving into the Mothman stories, I just love the stories. You know, like I can't get enough of hearing these stories and documenting stories for myself because I I find that over time, the more stories I collect and the more stories I hear, I can start to form some sort of opinion, you know, for myself. But when it comes to Mothman, you're hearing so many different descriptions. We have a guy in our movie who claims he woke up in the middle of the night and saw Mothman standing next to his bed. So the the descriptions of what people were seeing down there were so varied and weird. But um that that's a long way of answering that yes, I do. I'm very into all cryptids. I want to make a movie about lake monsters and and all sorts of stuff. I love I love this subject. I think Lyle's kind of the same way. Yeah, I mean it, it, these others are just as fascinating. I mean they're obviously harder to explain in in you know, logical, biological terms when you start getting into, you know, moth men, lizard men, um, things like that. Now, lake monsters, of course, seem, you know, right up there with Bigfoot, they seem somewhat plausible and uh, very possible. So uh, it, it, it just, it's just a whole world of cryptozoology, not just Bigfoot. And, you know, the second book I did was, was a study of this Bishopville lizard man case, sort of a, a creature from the modern creature from the Black Lagoon, so to speak, from uh, Bishopville, South Carolina, and another swampy area. And again, it's like, well, I, you know, I'm not out to necessarily prove this, and it certainly can't. But the stories are just fascinating, just the stories under themselves. And I think we both have that appreciation that the small town, the, the spooky sightings, the unexplainable creature, and and it's just fascinating to explore. Uh, these these regional cases, you know, because the, there is so many of those. I mean, I've got a list of hunt, literally hundreds of cryptids, you know. Some of them all kind of fall into the Bigfoot category. Some of them fall into, you know, other types of uh, humanoid-type creatures. And then, of course, lake monsters. But, you know, the list just goes on and on. We I could write books and we could make movies until <laughs> the end of time, really, if we can get witnesses. You guys will have to come down to Lake Okanagan and when you do your the sea Ogopogo. monster on half of the Ogopogo. 
Heck yeah, that's that's one of my favorites too. Ogopogo is cool because it's like a it's like a huge serpent, you know. Whereas Champ, you think of like Champ and stuff, and it, it is kind of like that classic Plesiosaura, you know, Loch Ness monster type. But Ogopogo is one of my favorites because it's so unique looking. And you have to yeah, wonder if all those it. lakes up there aren't connected too, right? It would be so easy for them to just be in one and out the other. They're so deep. Yeah, those are, you know, and of course, I don't have a lot of lake monsters down here in the south. You know, a lot of the lake monsters are in the northern half of the of North America. You know, once you get up there, there's so many of those deep, dark, huge lakes that nearly all of them have some amount of reports. But I think Ogopogo ranks right up there with Champ as some of the most credible, some of the longest history of it. Um a colleague of mine, John Kirk, has done a lot of research, and he lived uh, there, uh, lives in that area. So, you know, there's there's some connection of of a personal accounts that I've, you know, been able to hear from those areas, and I, I think it's one of those. That's one of the best, you know, of the lake monsters. So, when will this Mothman movie be coming out, Seth? Uh, Mothman is coming out on, on June 2nd, I think. And then we're going to kind of have the big screen debut at the extra, at the Mothman festival, which goes on every year here in, uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And, uh, I don't know if you guys are aware, but it's like, it's, it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest kind of cryptid festival around it's, uh, this past year, the attendance was 12,000. Um, so <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. It's like uh, the town only the the population of the town is only like three thousand. So it's it's insane. It's it's uh, they crowd into the downtown area, and there's a Mothman museum, and and I mean it's it's big. It's big in in Point Pleasant. They love the Mothman, and it's been you know it's like it's one of the challenges of making the Mothman movie is the fact that Mothman's been covered um, multiple times, you know, across many different media, obviously a lot of documentaries and television documentaries, uh, as far as actual movies, I can only think of eyes of the Mothman. but there have been some really good television documentaries about, about Mothman. And that was like one of the challenges coming into this for us was like, well, what are we going to bring to this that, you know, hasn't been brought to it. But I think at one point, uh, Brandon Dalo, who, who, um, does the music for our movies. He told me, um, I think we'll just kind of bring our own voice to it. You know, like we have a very specific style of telling these movies and we have a way of like just showing up in a place and things kind of working out in our favor is as far as like digging up new information. And that definitely has happened with this story. Um, and we're also managing to get our hands on like some original audio interviews from people who've passed away. So we've got we've got video we've got a video interview with uh, one witness who's passed away, and then we have I think three or four different audio tape interviews with people. Um, maybe I think three or four of our witnesses have never even been in a movie about this, even though they're they're frequently cited as being you know involved in the case. So it's going to be a really cool kind of somber chronological. Look, you know, like Lyle was talking about the timeline of the of the Falk monster. That's something I wanted to see done with the Mothman 
because the the sightings of the Mothman took place over this period of time from like 1966 to 1967. And I was fascinated when I was reading Keel's book by the fact that the sightings seemed to be like one on top of the next for a year, for 13 months. And, um, and then it all kind of culminated with that collapse of the Silver Bridge, which, you know, isn't tied to the Mothman, in my opinion. But I, I wanted to be able to include that in the film. So our movie is basically a look at um, a small town kind of going mad over the course of 13 months. Wow. And not that I'm saying people were crazy or anything, but I, I think so much weird stuff was going on in the town during that 13 month time that... Um, it, it felt like there was something like everything was escalating towards something during in Point Pleasant during that period of time. And, and then the bridge collapsed. And I think for a lot of people, they felt that was what everything was leading to. So I want to document that in our you know special way and hopefully uh, get some of these people on camera who've who've never had a chance to tell that history and, and really delve into the Mothman stories in a way that hasn't been done before. I seen my only real knowledge of the Mothman was from the movie with Richard Gere. Yeah. yeah, I saw that movie. That movie is kind of was my introduction into like the paranormal and in general. I really had never um I had never thought of of any of this stuff like cryptids or any of that as a reality. It was always just kind of this goofy topic. And then when I watched that movie, that kind of was I credit that movie with being like the thing that might have uh, opened the door for me um, to get into all this stuff. Cause I, for whatever reason, I loved that movie. I still love that movie. I, I own it, but like I watched that movie six times at the dollar theater with some friends of mine. We just kept going back. So it's like one of those things that I, I think got me into this stuff. Kind of like Lyle with the legend of Boggy Creek. I, I apparently am like that with the Mothman prophecies. <laughs> Well, it's a good movie. That's that's one of the things. I mean, it it's not necessarily it's not really about the sightings of Mothman in in, in that way, but using that as an influence to create an individual experience and tie in the truth of the case, and it just ends up being a really good movie. And you know, they don't show the Mothman, they don't cheese it out, and they keep it spooky. And so, it's a very effective movie. And Certainly, as far as cryptid-influenced movies, it rates right up there in the top. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's just a great a great treatment of that spooky case. So, Are you, are you guys going to keep working together uh, on, on UFOs? Like, Lyle, are you interested in that as well? Like, what, what, what are you going to um, – how are you going to focus on that huge topic, Seth? Oh, I think the way the way we focus on each topic is just – very ground level and go into one small town kind of sighting and then build out from there. So that, that movie is called invasion on chestnut Ridge. And it is going to be different from our other movies. Cause it's not going to focus on just one monster or one type of monster. We have a few different um, phenomena going on in, in the chestnut Ridge. Um, and it'll start kind of with a Kecksburg UFO crash uh, mm-hmm. in Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, and then build out from there and uh, kind of draw off of a lot of the research of uh, a guy named Stan Gordon, mm-hmm. who uh, documented a, a whole mess of like weird cases that went on back in 1973 and 
kind of all the way up till today. But I know I, I just spoke to someone today and I know for a fact we're going to have like a Thunderbird sighting witness in the movie. And we're going to have uh, people that saw Bigfoots carrying like spear glowing spears and all kinds of weird stuff. So it's a. Uh, it's going to be very unique from from our other movies, very different from our other movies, um, but it'll definitely kind of delve into a lot of different subjects that I've wanted to explore. Um, and obviously, you know, like as far as I, I can't speak for Lyle, but the the experience of working with Lyle on on Boggy was one of the highlights of my year, like last year. So that's why I asked Lyle, "Do you want to, you know, continue to be involved with uh, with us moving forward?" So. I know he's on board for Mothman. I'm hoping I can com- convince him to to stick around for Invasion and and then whatever comes after that. But uh, it's a big year for us. We're we're producing two movies this year, so. I wonder. Yeah, and I, oh. I think you know, for me, Dan, just to kind of answer that about you know, I think the role in in other movies, you know, just varies depending on the movie. Obviously, with Boggy mm-hmm. Creek, I'm very much involved in that movie because i'm also the guy who is the the main researcher bringing the you know the information to the case whereas in mothman i'm certainly very familiar with that case i've been there um but then the role becomes more you know i'm possibly narrating it you know i narrated uh the boggy creek monster and just as well i mean i'm uh you know, I've spent my whole life watching these sort of documentaries. I'm, you know, I'm skilled in various aspects of visual and, and audio inter, audio entertainment. So um, it, it's just one of those things, whatever the role is, whether that's just uh, bouncing ideas, adding to the narration or working on the, the actual narration script. Um, and, you know, that that becomes the, the cool part about it. And, and the cool part about working with small town monsters is something finally, I don't have to do everything myself. There's a capable group of guys that do those visuals that, you know, I mean, I'm capable, uh, you know, writing a book and, and uh, doing that. But if I want to get into films, I, I can't do everything. And I certainly can't continue to write books and do films. The only way I could get my, and in any kind of films is if I'm joining forces with somebody who, uh, who is able to do that part and then bringing to the table, whatever skills I have, such as the written word and, and helping with narration or whatever it calls for. And that would also be a case for any sort of a UFO or a thing like that. Whereas I, you know, I don't have a file of UFO things, but I can certainly, um, you know, uh, be, involved in a filmmaking about a strange incident because everything I write about is strange incidents. So it's, it's not far, far removed from daily life other than I don't, you know, I like UFO subjects, but can't research everything. (laughs) seems like you guys have a similar uh, style of not really going into it with an agenda or trying to show the scary aspect or trying to disprove it or prove it. It's very, um, just sort of, uh, yeah, centrist, I guess. What about- yeah, that's, that's kind of like our approach is, is very similar. And, and I think that's why I responded to Lyle's book so much to the beast of Boggy Creek was his, his kind of like his, his take on it is very similar to mine. And, um, yeah, 
I just, I think we, we try to keep everything ground level and, you know, these stories in themselves are pretty terrifying. You know, when you're hearing someone recount seeing a glowing red eyed, uh, flying creature, you know, chase their car late at night or, you know, a guy or girl see a, a, a hairy man like being in the woods. I mean, those stories on their own are pretty terrifying without, you know, throwing in a, a guy in a suit chasing people and ripping their arms off or whatever. Yeah. What about the Flatwoods monster? Is that one? That's, is there still people alive from that? The, my that's that would be my one of my dream movies. Like I always say, Flatwoods and Momo are two of my dream movies. The Who's problem with Momo? Flatwoods is Momo's the Missouri monster. Oh. But um, when it comes to Flatwoods, I actually have a painting of the Flatwoods monster on my wall that I'm looking at right now. But like the the original witnesses, for the most part, are are gone, have passed away because that story took place in the fifties, if I'm not mistaken. So a lot of those original witnesses are gone, but we are going to at least mention it briefly in the Mothman movie because Flatwoods, um, I think that's Braxton County. It's only maybe two hours two two, three hours away from Point Pleasant. So it's, it's actually fairly close to Point Pleasant. So I have to, at, at the very least, pay homage to the Flatwoods monster in our Mothman movie. Perfect. Yeah, it's a it's a cool case too. Yeah, those are that's one that I've I've actually written some stuff on that one. So yeah, it's uh, fascinating. Isn't that one? Some people actually think it might have been some sort of uh, mechanical object. Have you heard that one? It was like, it's like a, a, I mean, from, from my recounting of it, it's like this weird cylindrical. Yeah. Almost like it, whatever the being it was, was, it almost looked like it was in some sort of object, you know, like a, a robotic suit or something. Am I wrong, Lyle? No, that's right. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, there's a few different interpretations over the descriptions and, and what the witnesses took away from that. But yeah, I, I, I get that impression that it could have been something that was uh, in a suit or you know, robotic or very, very uh, extraterrestrial in nature and, and monst- monstrous at the same time. So, very Cold War era, uh, like Earth versus the flying saucers type of thing, which is interesting to me. Yeah, I just had this this feeling of. Uh... <laughs> When I was a kid watching the Six Million Dollar Man, there was this episode and it scared me as a kid. Like I was, this was freaky to me. And it was that, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that or remember it, but it was this UFO shaped, like almost this, uh, was it like a teardrop shaped, like sort of metal object in the in this field? Or it was actually roaming around the town and, and uh, Six Million Dollar Man like couldn't fucking do anything with it. And they kept like hurting him and beating him up and he couldn't stop it. And I was just like freaked by this sort of semi technological (laughs) UFO thing, (laughs) terrorizing people. Yeah. I've, I've never seen $6 million man, but I'm well aware of it because of the Bigfoot episode. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. I gotta look that up and watch it. Yeah. I don't, I have also never seen the $6 million (laughs) man. I, I watched that as a kid, but yeah, that's, uh, uh, I don't recall that episode, but the Bigfoot episode, of course, that was like one of the greatest things that like 
happened ever. <laughs> I, I can't remember. There was like, I mean, I was so small when I came out and stuff, but I, all I know is that it was Bigfoot and it was on a TV show and I was like the, yeah, I was like a grand event, <laughs> but I can't remember a darn thing about seeing it. Mine was, I think it was, I can't remember if it was X-Files or Unsolved Mysteries. It might have been Unsolved Mysteries, and they had this one about these little weird black spidery things that crawled around on your ceiling. And then for like the next five years, I always had to like, I was scanning the ceiling while I was lying in bed, like constantly. Hmm. Yeah, Unsolved Mysteries, they, I just, that, that spooked me a lot when I was a kid, because just the way they delivered those stories, and, and I don't know, factual and the narration they they were they were spooky i always loved horror movies and that's what i always say i always loved monsters and horror movies that stuff never really scared me but man if i stayed up late and watched uh unsolved mysteries or if i saw uh, just when i saw the patterson gimlin film when i was a kid i mean that you know or, or a show about ghosts and stuff that freaked me out because i'm like you know this could be real i mean i could be in the woods and see that thing or you know i could go to my great grandmother's house that was all it was built in the 1800s very creepy i could see a ghost that was you know that that scared me movie monsters not so much i love them but never scared me and i still have that sort of a fascination and enjoy that that kind of spooky aspect of this stuff just like i did when i was a kid and that's uh you know hearing these people tell this stuff you know this is real life this is made up and you know that's what makes it kind of Exciting is is the sort of the mystery and the, the spookiness of it, and I think uh, my books definitely show that. You know, I like the like this the somber approach that's going to be used in the Mothman movie. I, I love that, and that's kind of what what I also portray in my books. It's factual. I don't have to play up the story; they're spooky under themselves. You know. Mm. Seth, do you think, regardless of all the increased interest that we were talking about earlier? Do you think that people are changing their mind a little bit or like, do you think that skeptical people are opening up at all? Or do you think the culture is changing at all for like a more of a mainstream acceptance? Man, I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's, it's going to be interesting when the current generation of like kids grow up because a lot of these kids are growing up with shows like finding Bigfoot and um even stuff like mountain monsters and they love it you know and they i talk to kids constantly who come to see our movies who love bigfoot and are convinced bigfoot bigfoot's real you know so like what happens when the, that generation grows up um as far as when when i make my movies i always make my movies for for my wife's grandpa because he's like this he's like this age he's an older guy you know he's a hunter he's he's been out in the woods his whole life and he kind of laughs off the idea of Bigfoot. He really does. Like, he'll just laugh it off. And then if you get him alone, though, he'll tell you these stories about, like, hearing weird noises in the woods. You know, but he hates, like, popular culture take on Bigfoot. So he just laughs it off. But if you can show him something realistic, he'll sit and watch it, you know, and be, be utterly fascinated by it. And so, like, whenever I make my movies, I kind of target him. And if if we can... If we can reach a larger audience, I think we could at least open people up to the point where they could consider it. And that's all we really care about. You know, like, I don't really I don't 
care if you believe or disbelieve when you watch watch the movies or even after you watch the movies. I don't I'm not attempting to convince anyone that Bigfoot exists because I don't know for myself. But um, but I definitely want people to treat the subject with a, a some measure of respect and, and understand that there is something really kind of cool about all of this, you know, really, really that, that deserves to be looked into a little more seriously than it is. Yeah. Word up. What do you think, Lyle? Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's that's the thing, and I think one pe- one reason I've, uh, you know, people appreciate my work even even prior to the films is I don't try to persuade people. I don't try to you know, beat them over the head with anything, and I can also understand the skeptical position that people have. You know, what I mean, I can understand that, uh, especially somebody who hasn't really looked into the research. So if I can convince that, you know, if I can come across with that average person and leave them with the feeling that, Hey, you know, there really might be something to this stuff. Then I think I've, I've done my job well because you, know, you don't want to, you don't want to be off putting or turn them off by, you know, trying to, you know, preach at them or have an agenda of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, telling, you know, proving Bigfoot or proving cryptids. It's just tell the story. And if you tell it in a, you know, a, a very uh, down-to-earth way, and you present the facts as facts, and don't make too too many uh, you know crazy uh, leaps of judgment. Then people do kind of pay attention and, and look for that larger audience, and that's the way I've always written my books. I don't write them for the Bigfoot researcher guy. I write my books for anybody who's uh, likes either you know spooky books or books about mysteries or books that uh maybe they love the outdoors and the unexplained things that you know you may find in the in the uh remote reaches of, of woods or and whatever that is that's what i write my books for and i think that's a been a good approach in, in all this yeah that's well said so where can where can people um catch up what's the easiest place for people to catch all this stuff I, you got some stuff on vimeo right Seth? Yeah, we're on uh, Vimeo On Demand, and we're on Amazon uh, Instant Video, and uh, DVDs and stuff are available through our web store, which is shop.smalltownmonsters.com. And then uh, there's a smalltownmonsters.com website that is needing updated, which we're working on, and there's a Facebook page. It's just where I'm kind of direct directing everyone to right now is our Facebook or really any of our social media, like Twitter and okay. Instagram and all that stuff. Yeah. Cause we're, we're running a Kickstarter campaign to actually oh. fund the production of, uh, of the Mothman movie. So I kind of like try it. So, okay. Well, that's good. To so know. that's everything. Yeah. That's good to know. I can link to all, link to all that. And then Lyle, do you have another book coming out as well beyond uh boggy Creek or something like that? I do. As a matter of fact, it is coming out tomorrow. No way. It's called Beyond, Beyond Boggy Creek in Search of the Southern Sasquatch. And uh, yeah, in, in this one, I sort of started at Boggy Creek with a premise, obviously, that the most famous Southern Sasquatch case, you know, is the Fountain Monster. Um, but as you travel up and down those waterways that, uh, that the creatures have been seen on over the years, you... Uh, quickly find other cases, and so I expand out all across the entire Deep South and look at the his, 
history of Sasquatch sightings in those areas from, you know, the old 1800s reports all the way up to modern sightings um, and sort of just end up in Florida where I was recently out there and, and you know, talk about the skunk ape case. So it's a much more, it's the most broad book that I've done yet. And, uh, you know, when, when Seth gets a hold of this and reads it, there's, there's going to be, <laughs> I feel like we're going to have to make a lot more movies. <laughs> we're have to have a, lot, a lot more regional cases that are really, really cool and some great, you know, like you've got the Boggy Creek monster, the Falk monster, the Flatwoods monster, all that sort of thing. I mean, I've got a list of, of you know, hundreds of those sort of regional names for these kind of creatures that I researched over the years. So that comes out tomorrow, and you can find out all this stuff on, on my site, lyleblackburn.com, lyleblackburn.com. And, of course, that has links to to uh, the information on my various books and projects and uh, the, you know my books are available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, Kindle, Nook, ebook, iTunes, any flavor that people like. Oh nice. yeah, we're getting. I, that that reminds me, we we are working on Beast of Whitehall should be available on iTunes and Google Play in the next like month. That's okay. the other thing. Okay. I keep I keep forgetting to mention that. So we're working on getting these out there in a larger you know, to a larger audience. It's just that we're completely independent. So getting this stuff done is extremely difficult when you're, when you're doing everything yourself. Yeah. 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 And that one was a little, it was a short film that you kind of made, mm -hmm. uh, um, on a whim almost. Right. Yeah. We made it, we made it for, I, I say we made it for under $500. Um, we, we, it essentially was the, the very first thing I actually shot and edited all by myself. Minerva Monster was our first film, but I didn't really shoot any of it. Um, and I didn't get to be involved in too much of the editing. But the the Beast of Whitehall was like the first thing I ever did. And um, it's it's taken on a life of its own. So it's kind of cool. It's, it's getting out there. But um, Boggy Creek should be much wider available, like should be av available to a much wider audience later this, this year. We're kind of just now pushing it out into the film festival circuit. So it's got some film festival screenings coming up in the next, actually in the next two months, it's got at least three that I know of. So it's going to, it's going to start to balloon. Nice. <laughs> right on. Well, thanks for coming on guys. You should come back on maybe again when that, when you get into the UFO stuff and all, and we'll chat about that. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, let me know if you guys want to come do a show on my kids. My what? A small town monster. Oh, small town. <laughs> Get it? <Yeah. laughs> Way to ruin the joke. Guys. Yeah, sorry, buddy. <laughs> it's over my head. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll get on the list. Four uh, feet yeah. tall. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the puck, uh, puck wedgie. <laughs> A dwarf-like creature in Huckamuck Swamp. <laughs> well, that's another, that, that's puck, another story. What's puck it wedgie? called? The Puck Wedgie? Yeah. It sounds like there's got to be a Canadian. You think there'd be a Canadian down. monster, a Canadian dwarf. You're a Canadian dwarf. I'll be playing hockey tonight. I'll I'll get a Puck Wedgie. <laughs> right it on, should, guys. It should, yeah. also, it should also be mentioned that I write for the great Canadian horror magazine, Rue Morgue, which oh. is out of Toronto. Oh, right on. I didn't sure. realize I was Canadian. Sweet. We don't, we don't, uh, 
We don't really recognize Toronto as part of Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, well, see, I don't know. Any. I live in Texas. What do I? What do I know? <laughs> we'll trade you Toronto. We'll trade you Toronto and Ottawa for Washington State <laughs> or Alaska. Either or. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, guys. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll check out the new books and the new movie. And yeah, come back anytime. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Have a good night, guys. Thanks. Yeah. And that was our chat with Lyle and Seth. That was a good one. Yeah, I like what Monster they're doing. Monster ones are always fun. Yeah. I like the storytelling approach. Yeah, I like because the Because then even if it's, you know, approach. then I can watch it. Whereas I, I can't watch Finding Bigfoot. Are these guys banging <laughs> on trees or throwing rocks? Like that thing, night vision. It's on for, you know... Lisa will put it on sometimes because she thinks I would like it. That's just like, no, no, change it. <laughs> really? Change it, yeah. But I can sit and watch something, even if I think it's, if I'm not believing it, if it's good storytelling, it's just that much easier to just sit sit through. Well, we didn't get into it, and I should have asked them, silly me, but they, they did have some footage at the end of one of their movies of some sounds that was pretty interesting. Because, you know, you know, on these shows that you're talking about, you never really get anywhere, right? There's nothing really to discover. They never, they never see anything. No. But these guys actually did, on the end of their filming, they got some weird sounds. Nice. Yeah. That was a good one. So big thanks to Lyle and Seth for coming on the show. Check out the movies. Check out the books. All that fun stuff. These Sasquatch are all over the place. I wonder if they're different races. I wonder if Sasquatch are racist. Is like if, I wonder if like the Pacific Northwest they're chilled Sasquatch out. They're is chilled like, out. They're chill. Fuck those stinky ass gunk down in Florida. Angry Southern Sasquatches <laughs> getting all aggro. Yeah. <laughs> Probably I wonder not. if they meet anywhere in the middle like in Colorado or something. They have a big Sasquatch yeah. summit. <laughs> in Colorado. Yeah. That's what the airport's for. Yeah. They're actually the string pullers are the Sasquatch. So they built all that underground shit at the Colorado airport is where they go to That's where they go have to have their, their con con. They just go down to the under, underground tunnel network. People con. Yeah. They eat us. Anyway. Yeah. That was a fun one. Check out uh, grandamerica.ca slash support of course for all the different ways you can help us out uh Keep us ad free. Yeah, yeah. Keep the temptation of ads off us. That's right. Um, yeah, check that out. There's a bunch of different uh, levels there, anywhere from a buck a month to 30 bucks a month. If you want uh, a custom number, let me know, and I can email you out a custom amount. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you know, that helps a lot too. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, uh, the monthlies are great. So uh, if you can, do it up. And a new monthly today, actually. Oh, good. Thanks yeah. for uh, thanks for supporting the show. It yeah. really does make a difference. Absolutely. Yeah, we couldn't do it without you, really. No, we couldn't we keep this up without you. There's it. no way we'd still be doing this no. if we wouldn't have started getting support at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, just would have got too expensive. Eventually, you know, yeah. something would have happened that we wouldn't have had the money to pay the fucking yeah. this bill one month or that yeah. bill one month, yeah. and then that would have been it. You, yeah. you got to be consistent in this game. Yeah. Yeah, guys. Thanks a so, bunch. Check it out. You can uh, review the show, support the show. Yes, yeah, send us out. the show. Instagram. Find us everywhere. Tweet the show. Facebook. Like us on Facebook. And, uh, oh, yeah, sign up for the newsletter. It's send like, us your cryptid like, stories. Seriously, 1% of you motherfuckers that are signed up for the newsletter. 1%, maybe 2% tops. 
Unacceptable. Do it now. America.ca slash news. Sign your friend up. Sign up you and your friend. So next uh, week, I expect that number to be at 110% of the listeners. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week.
Subscribe, hair a good dot, see